Something bit me! Sam, what are you seeing down there? Oh my god. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, this is the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Tim Timebomb, Leone D'Antonio, Lauren and Trevor Shan, Austin Wilkin, and Rachel Tejada. Let's go! Hey, I'm Trevor. I'm Leo. I'm Lauren. And, and we're, we're the, the Boo, Boo Crew. Crew! Welcome to episode 56. The Boo Crew returns to the Long Beach Convention Center this year for Midsummer Scream. It goes down Saturday, August 3rd, and Sunday, August 4th. It's the ultimate Halloween and horror party with vendors, haunts, your favorite genre personalities, and more. This year's amazing panels and events celebrate 50 years of Disneyland's Haunted Mansion, 30 years of Tales from the Crypt, and so much more. We'll be doing a live show from 6 to 7 that Saturday night talking about rock and horror, joined by guests, musician Curtis from the band Creature Feature, cartoonist Michael O'Shanker, and producer Christopher Jimenez. Get tickets now. Go to Midsummer Scream org and use the code Boo Crew for twenty percent off your admission. This week on the show, director, writer, and producer Alex Aja will go behind the scenes with a spoiler-free journey into the eye of the hurricane that is Crawl in theaters everywhere now. He talks about the films that created him. Find out what happens to all the amazing props and wardrobe from his own movies, and the secret real-life power behind the three-note musical theme that swims alongside you in Crawl. Let's dive into it, shall we? She's alive. Alive! This is Alex Aja, and you are swimming around in the alligator-infested crawl space of the Boo Crew. Did you hear that? In less than an hour, we'll be underwater! Banging on the pipes. Where's their senses? I can distract them for you. You got this! Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew in the Speakeasy studio is a visionary producer, director, and writer who made his directorial debut at the age of 18 years old, earning a Cannes Film Festival nomination. It was a powerful, unrelenting, and award-winning film, High Tension, released in 2003, that instantly earned him a place among the icons of the horror genre and a list of fans, including Sam Raimi and Wes Craven, who quickly enlisted him to create a retelling of his classic, the Hills Have Eyes. He then went on to an impressive list of features, including Mirrors with Kiefer Sutherland in 2008, the insanely delicious Piranha 3D, reinvented Daniel Radcliffe in the fable Horns, sent us back into the world of Joe Spinell's Maniac, and locked us into a parking garage with a psychopath in P2. It is a truly visceral journey to experience our guest's projects. He is a virtuoso in the darkness when it comes to orchestrating the magic that quite literally causes audience members to curl up in their seats and really make us feel like the nightmares on screen are happening to us. He is back with another e-ticket ride this summer, and it's one you'll want to take again and again. It's called Crawl. stars Kaya Scodelario and Barry Pepper. In theaters everywhere now, we are honored to welcome the master, Alex Aja. Yeah! <laughs> thank you so much, guys. Hey, thank you so much for being here. Incredible movie, first of all. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's something when you, you spent so much time in the water in the wind uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then that was a tough one to make and then you get to that place where you show the movie and you see the audience react yeah and then you forget everything <laughs> you forget all the pain and everything and you're ready to go again how many times do you figure you've seen the movie now in theaters in theater i not that much i mean like maybe f five times okay 
altogether 200 times. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. This is like way too much. And I'm happy like uh, on Monday to not see it again right. for another, I don't know, like 20 years. But, yeah. So let's go back to the beginning. And can you talk a bit about the earliest impactful memory that you have dealing with the horror genre, whether it was a movie you saw that really got you into it or what was it? Oh, that's, um, I mean, I have a few. The most important one was um, actually around six or seven. My mom is at the hospital, so I'm living uh, alone in my uh, in my house in Paris, and I'm going uh, on to my um, video club. You know, like renting yeah. VHS, and uh, I'm supposed to rent Superman two, <laughs> and I'm getting The Shining instead. Oh wow! And it's a it's you know like you had like the the box, and they put the tape in, and I don't know what happened because I cannot imagine that the the guy there just like put. on purpose the shining but i'm back in my place and i put the vhs inside the the vcr and and i know right away it's not the right movie obviously but i'm petrified i can absolutely not move there is like maybe you know like five feet between me and the tv and i cannot just make them to stop and i'm like seeing all this like hunting music until the you know the the, the first series of um, uh, flash forward or flashback that right. Danny is experiencing in the in in the bathroom when his dad gets the job, and I see that blood and those twins, and I'm like so scared. And and at that point, I realize I think the power of images and sound uh, on you. And and but that was one thing. Early on, I kind of. Um, you know, I was hanging out with an older kid and, and, and they were watching uh, Raid of the Lost Ark. And I think I stepped in the room right when the Nazi were melting. Yes! Oh, yeah. no, it's classic. <laughs> and that, that was a classic. That and, of course, Snow White, uh, you know, like the witch and, and Snow White is the queen is definitely the first experience. I remember uh, having nightmare of yeah. the, my toys building up and, and yeah. becoming that witch from, from Snow White in my room and attacking me. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, uh, you know, a few of those uh, moments that yeah. definitely involve. And then you realize that you can actually uh, spread the fear somehow and make it easier <laughs> on you by telling stories to other people. And, you know, that's how, how it started. Was there one movie in particular that you saw that gave you the tools, something that said, I, you know what, I could do this? It came more from uh, from writing. 11, 12, I started like having a lot of fun writing, really bad, obviously, but fun all story. And and the writing was really the, the, the you know, like the writing short story where everything's possible, just uh, paper and pen, so... <laughs> So, and, and then, you know, watching movies, I was blessed and super lucky. I grew up on set. My dad is a filmmaker. Oh, great. So, um, somehow it never been like a, a something so difficult, mm-hmm. you know, like I never like see making a movie as something impossible because as far as I remember, I saw my dad, you know, having like huge crew and making movies and like, you know, and it's, I guess a usual thing. You see your dad and you say, oh, if you can do it, you know, I, I can do it too. Whether it's the pyramid, high tension, or what you did here with Crawl, you have a real way of providing a total immersive experience yes. and putting that into a story so that we're experiencing it almost first person like we're there. You feel no distance almost between yourself and the screen. 
Discuss the importance of that connection and what are some of the ways that you managed to achieve that so well? I mean, back to the experience of The, the Shining uh, at seven, you know, that's exactly what I discovered. I discovered that the distance between you and the, you know, the screen just vanish when the immersion is efficient. And, and I think that later on, when it comes to books or, or, or novel, I mean, and, or anything, you know, any type of uh, fictional material, this is what I'm like looking for. I'm looking for an experience, something that just make me forget that I'm actually reading or watching and make me just cross the, the mirror on the other side. So that's what I try to do is every single of, uh, of my movies and specifically the, the survival one or the, the most uh, uh, suspenseful one like crawl or eye tension or the hills of ice you know the way you achieve it i think it's when you know who's your protagonist and you just follow and you just be very rigorous about like um being on that point of view and and and, and really not like being you know whatever they see the audience should see it whatever they react the audience should see how they react there is a connection there is a it, it's more like hunting for the showstopper you know, like hunting down and get rid of anything that could create that showstopper, that moment where a bad visual effect, a bad acting, a bad line, a really stupid decision make you go back and you sit and say, oh, I'm watching a movie. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and that's what I'm trying to do, you know, and sometimes, of course, everyone has a different opinion. I'm, I'm sure many people watch my movies and thinking, oh, that was like full of stupid decisions but you know like i guess some other people will see that you know like it, it's always we all have a different way of approaching or seeing situations i'm trying as much as i can to always always stay on the side of the of the character and and try to make the best decision possible horror films i find are always constantly bending and evolving just due to human nature and what it is that scares us as a filmmaker in the genre are you cognizant of always reinventing fear there is something interesting when you when it comes to that type of movie is everyone comes to see them with a preconceived uh, idea and bring with them expectation they, they come here to be scared so they they know it's going to be scary so they have a lot of anticipation and they a lot of desire of what they want to see but they also come with a lot of movies that they've seen before mm. and a lot of like trick where they they know that when the music does this that means you know something is going to happen that at the end of the corridor, you know, like if nothing happened before, it's going to, you know, like the payoff is going to be there. So sometimes you really have to play with the, the expectation and kind of counter them and, and, and try to figure out way to not reinvent, but kind of like do it in a different way and reprogram uh, a little bit the, uh, the audience reaction. And that's how you, you know, you navigate, it's a, it's a kind of, it's a, it's a fine tune between the audience yourself and the movie to find the pace and the rhythm to, to deliver. I mean, like someone like James Wan is, is, a, is you know, is, a, is really a genius at that. Like every single of, of his, you know, movie in, in The Conjuring is kind of pushing the payoff. You know, like you, you think it's going to come in the next shot, but it's not, and it's not, and it's not, and it's not, and it's still not. Right. And at some point you're like, oh, come on, give it to me. And then, yeah, boom, it's happening. But it, it's really, really uh, an interesting uh, approach because you need to, to, you cannot just ignore that people, you know, have seen a lot of horror movies when they come see one. In your movies, you have a secret weapon, a secret arsenal, and that goes by the name of Maxime Alexander who's a genius DP. 
I mean, look at what he did with High Tension mm-hmm. and now with Crawl. He's a master at making you feel claustrophobic, beautiful cinematography. He's a master with darkness. Yeah, he, he did mis- that great in The Nun oh, as well. The Nun, yeah, amazing. exactly. Yeah, he, you know, he knows any misdirection between you and him working together. It's just amazing you watch a movie like high tension of course which my top five of all time poor movies thank you so much it's it's amazing it's amazing yeah it's i mean one of the best twists you know but amazing it's one of the movies i'll watch first time i watched it i was just like okay i think i know what's gonna happen it's like nope <laughs> you know misdirection it's like you know the, the guy's not here he's back over here you know and it makes you feel disoriented looking at a movie like crawl i mean like the nun as well he's a master at working with darkness and now with this latest movie it's like you guys did something really incredible not just darkness but with water you bless when you walk with you know like i have a, a couple of people around me and and maxime is definitely one greg levasseur that you know i i walk with from the beginning that's been on every single of my movies is in another one but it's like a family we literally like started together i mean right. when we do uh you know high tension that's maxim's first movie as a dp yeah, really and we just the year before met on another movie where i'm directing the second unit and he's like taking a job as the dp of the second unit and it's it really like we learn together we kind of have uh it's interesting because i think that's somehow the fact that the three of us came from a, a um like more like a movie set place you know he also maxim's uh, father is a line producer and he grew up on set as well none of us went to like a, a film school everything was possible there were no rules we were not like taught anything that like you cannot do and it was just like we want to do this and let's try and let's see and then it was very uh, and made, I mean, like, high tension was definitely, uh, <laughs> you know, like a lot of solution fun on the day. And, and, but I think together with Maxime, we all, all together, we did uh, nine or 10 movies. It's amazing. I did my first feature film with a very old, very great old English DP, Jerry Fisher, who did Highlander, um, he did The Exorcist, the third one. He did all the Joseph Lose movie. And it was a very different type of uh, approach. You know, it was kind of a little frustrating because, you know, I was explaining what I wanted, but then I couldn't really comment. When I walk with Maxime, it's a real collaboration. You know, I can, I have no problem to tell him like, oh, I want less light here. I want this, I want this. You know, like we, we have a short end, uh, you know, like it's friendship. It's, uh, it's like a family thing. It's great because when you're under so much pressure when you make movies to have people around you that are like not only your collaborator, but your closest friend, it definitely helps. And what do you find as just a creator that Maxime brings to your projects that you love so much? I think Maxime is, um, as a DP, is a very courageous DP. You really like go for the risk, go for like something that's not been done now try something in a different way that usually you don't do. It's never like a, taking the safe path. And that's always very interesting because it's um, sometimes, I mean, we got accidents. <laughs> <laughs> we got like times where it didn't work and, and you know, like those shots, we had to, you know, do them again or find solution. But most of the time it just leads to something that's just very, very specific and interesting. For me, as a director, I cannot imagine making a movie without being the one in, you know, like, basically designing the shots. It is like something that like, I feel that this is your authorship is how you're going to move the camera and how you're going to frame. 
and with Maxime to have someone that was in you know in the early movie when he was still operating now he's a big star so you know we have a camera operator he's <laughs> but you know he's, he's like sitting next to me and we you know like we like two old people <laughs> but uh that's not true because this time we were in the water in which you but you know it's always it's always very interesting to have that kind of relationship to like he, you know like just left right like go up down a little tighter and he has that amazing instinct so yeah talk about finding the script and bringing this story to life i absolutely need to fall in love with the story it is like uh because usually i mean in every movie is difficult so i guess it's the same for every filmmaker and every uh you know project but it's so hard it takes so many years it takes so many discussion and compromise sometime and fight and that you need to be able to go back in your mind to that moment where you fell in love just to be able to you know, like find the reason why you're here and why you're fighting and why you're doing that. So I'm trying all the time to go back to that moment. As a filmmaker, I try to avoid, to never think about what people want to see. I think it's it's very presumptuous and, and also lead to a lot of mistake. And I think that's one of the biggest problem with studio is like they only think about what people want to see instead of what they want to see themselves. Because as a filmmaker, I'm before I'm an audience member and I still go and see movies and, and enjoy them as much as I did when I was a teenager. So I'm only thinking about what movie I would like to see. And when I read a script, I'm only, you know, thinking about like, Oh, our book or when I'm thinking about an original ID. So I'm trying to fall in love as an audience member with a project first. And then, you know, like, you know, it comes to you and then you find the, and find the subject for crawl. I remember two years ago, I received um, the script along with this very small log line. And I read the log line. It was very simple, like that young woman who has to save a dad in a category five hurricane in Florida in a flooded area infested with alligators. And I was like, this is the most simple and yeah. best thing I ever read. <laughs> like, how come never, no one like I've, I've you know, like, think about it before? So I knew reading those two lines that I wanted to make this movie. It sounds like, you know, this storyline happens every single time there's a hurricane in Florida. Yeah. Because, I mean, every other week is a story of alligator and house in Texas, yeah. alligator and house in Florida. So it's like, I'm sure when the water gets that high, these gators yes. are everywhere. I mean, you know? and not only in Florida. I mean, it's pretty much like all the south part of the U.S. But last year in Queensland, in Australia, like 25,000 home underwater and the police like statement, like there is crocodile everywhere. <laughs> so be very, very, very careful. Same thing happened in, in Brazil a few months ago in the favela in Rio, where I floated the uh, favela and Cayman, you know, like uh, uh, rooming the street, <laughs> like physically. Wild, right? So, so, you know, it's, it's happening. It's like, we, we have more and more uh, disaster and flood and, and climate change, like fucked up coming. And we have like very old neighbors. <laughs> they like really nasty and, 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 you know, and what is interesting is like, I'm obviously a French, there is no alligators in France. <laughs> And, but still, you know, I see people reacting to the movie the same way. There is something about old DNA memory of like confronting ourselves to uh, the wild uh, animals. Something that's like we like and we understand that we as human, you know, come from an history of uh, fighting 
animals to survive <laughs> and something it's uh it just works as well like you said the story is very grounded in reality it doesn't cross too much over into that line of being completely fantastical mm-hmm. right. which helps with the immersion of the story yeah. it really really gets you involved I, in you it. know it's funny because uh, i really wanted to i mean i wish that story was a true story and oh, then, put, <laughs> you know, based on a true story you know like the, the, the old w Hooper uh, trick but uh but i you know we almost we we thought about it for a minute about like putting just like a at the end a picture of a of a guy from florida with a missing hand and and a competitive <laughs> swimmer yeah just like no text just them as they are in real life right 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 <laughs> and but you know like uh, you know, if you don't capture it you don't have to worry about it yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> but uh, you know the, the thing was to i think this this uh, desire of a true story gave us the real direction for the world movie because i knew right away i didn't want to do a monster movie i didn't want like to do a, a giant alligator or like a you know radioactive or like flying alligators <laughs> in the storm or, yeah, right. or any you know any any type i wanted to to make a story that was kind of in the realm of possibilities they're fascinating as they are they don't need to have an agenda they don't need to want revenge they just like protect their territory protect the nest to just killing machine they barely change over the last uh, uh, 60 million years and you know they, they're there there is one wild alligator for 10 inhabitants in florida so Jeez. oh my god wow. yeah. so how the hell did you make this movie as far as like we're like leo and i were watching it we're like is this in a sound stage what where uh, yeah. is this how did they do this it was impossible to go to Florida and shoot in a proper hurricane yeah. with real alligators. Oh, just, just, just wait, wait, till, wait till summer. Yeah. <laughs> coming, don't worry. Very, that will be uh, very interesting. But we were looking for a place where we could build Florida, you know, like because we knew that all the trees, the palm trees that go to 200 miles wind will bend completely. Right. We, we knew that like the rain, the sky, everything will be uh, CG uh, added. So we were looking for the biggest stage possible. And we found this uh, amazing and gigantic warehouse in, in Serbia, in Belgrade, on the port of Belgrade, on the Danube River. We built there like seven tank. The biggest one, I'm sorry, I'm European. So um, the translation will be... 200 feet on almost 400 feet size tank to wow. build the, the gas station and hold the house oh, wow. filling up up to you know 10 feet of water and that was insane you know like <laughs> because we we were using so much water that we couldn't in fact find the water so we had to reuse the water from one set to the other set so they were like some kind of <laughs> tank in between to stock the water and re bring oh. the water and filter the water i mean Jeez. i think i spent two-thirds of the pre-production only talking about how you build tank or how you filter the water. You know, oh. like it's, it was, a, and even we prepped that much, like some of the tank broke, some of the, I mean, oh, like sure. it was. Well, the wa- like water is probably constantly breaking yeah. the set down. Yes. Just I mean, is- water doesn't care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really like, you know, it's the worst. I mean, and uh, yeah, so it was, a, it was a tough one. But what we were not expecting is like, Obviously, for when you shoot in the water, you have to get the temperature of the water very warm, yeah. you know, for the audience, for the crew and for yeah. the actors, because, you know, even hot, when you spend more than five hours in it, it gets cold at some point. But what we're not expecting is like when you had the water, but then you have the rain, the rain, the rain, the rain yeah. and the wind in the same time. Yeah. It become like a very, very, very hot because the, the, the rain cannot be warm. 
So it's like really cold rain, hot water, wind, and 100 <laughs> decibel uh, sound from the machine all the time. Oh, so it, was, it was intense. Oh my God. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, you know, there have been many uh, aquatic horror movies like this done before. I gotta say that a lot of them do cheat because they only show you like a close-up or a certain you know angle. In this movie, there's a couple, sh- I mean, more than a couple shots at times that I've seen these shots where you're showing the, almost the entire length of that crawl space and it looks like it goes on forever. And I'm like, did they flood that whole? I mean, it's huge. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, we, we, we it's overwhelming. You know, when you, we when you build the wall crawl space in, in the tank with the water coming up with a platform above so the techno crane can go down. And as the water come up, the techno crane can, you know, like fly over the water and move from, you know, I, I'm a big, um, I'm a big fan of short lens. Most of my movies, I'm I'm using very short lens. Like usually, I, I use like the 16 millimeter or the oh, 24. Wow. Very like, like wide angle. Uh, wide angle, yes. The wide angle for me is Prime something lenses. to really bring the character without losing the set behind. I really like to bring my characters really into the you know the background and have a lot of background. I always shoot uh, a litter box ratio. Right. If I don't shoot anamorphic, it's always in like a way to get a lot of the background. I really work on my background to have a lot of things happening uh, behind. So yes, I wanted to see the set, but then, you know, because of the wide lens, the water, the place, you have the roof. So you, we had actually people dropping rooftop as we were moving the camera. The illusion of the alligators, the alligators did not look CGI to me for one second. How did you do that? It's really nice to hear that. I wanted them to be as real as possible from the get go. You know, for me, that was like that kind of true story. But, you know, looking at a lot of research and, and thanks to the internet, you find thousands of hours of crocodile and alligator footage. And you look at them and most of the footage are not very interesting. They are like very underwhelming and you just see you know, alligators <laughs> like, yeah, like you know, not moving and just, you know, in the sun. <laughs> <laughs> like there is not not a lot of action, but when you find actions, they are like spectacular. They are really really amazing. So we kind of did the best of the best of like clips of um, you know like where they attack, the way they react, the way they move. With this, we fed the um, animator team at uh, uh, Rodeo Effect in Canada, it was the visual effect company that did all um, CGI for for the movie. But we really wanted them to be as real in the best way possible, and uh, we knew that that type of movement will not work with any animatronics or any kind of puppeteer thing. 10 years ago, it would have been a mix between technology, but today when you see what Jurassic World uh, or Planet of the Apes, or I mean, like, basically there is no limit. It's, it's, we reached that point where everything is, is possible and it's magic. Right. But then, you know, we're not Jurassic World and we're not Planet of the Apes right. and we don't have the same budget. Right. So it was kind of a leap of faith that as a producer this time, I put aside like a big chunk of the budget to be sure that we will have that quality. I was ready to give up on days of shooting to get the right quality of visual effect because that was the key. 
you know, like I suffer a lot from Piranha of, you know, like the, the visual effect on Piranha. They were not to the, the level I wanted. Right. But because the movie was a comedy, because it was like a, a you know, like a guilty pleasure or comedy, the fact that the Piranha was a little cartoonish could, you know. Yeah, it worked. worked. It worked for that movie. Yes. Yeah. Here, it will have not worked. It right. will have like killed the movie. And so I was kind of very anxious. I think it was right before Christmas, uh, as we were doing the first uh, cut of the movie, that we received the first shot. And I saw them and like, oh, this is amazing. This is like exactly. And, and going back to early on, you know, in the project before we started, I asked, uh, uh, you know, like Sam Remy, I said, like, Sam, what is your um, favorite alligator or crocodile movie? And he took a you know, moment to think about it. And he said, like, mm, I think it's Jurassic Park. We were already on the same page as we need to get to that level of, uh, of visual effect because that's what's going to make the movie very efficient. So even the yeah. close-up shots of the gators were... Uh, everything. There is, wow. there is, to be honest, there is four shots, four, five shots that are like actual practical uh, effect. We had like a head and we had a tail and we had the baby uh, alligator that were like all practical. But we were like, we knew that 99% of the other shots will be full CG. Doesn't mean that we don't do anything on set. We right. have like a you know collection of proxy yeah. right. from the you know the the, the <clears throat> rod with the foam head to attack the actor to the simple uh, Serbian stuntman dressed in a full green spandex suit <laughs> crawling <laughs> on the ground, which is you know like I remember my son watching like a first scene in the editing room and be traumatized <laughs> by the vision of this guy in, in like fully like yeah. wearing the whole thing. It was like way more scary <laughs> than that. Oh, oh my gosh, can you please put that on the DVD? <laughs> it, it is, it is, it is. It is, it is. I mean like we, we you know, uh, thanks to Paramount, we, we did like a, a, a big extended um, behind the scene. Oh great. You know, because it, it, it was such a technical movie that's very interesting to see how we, we did it. In the movie, once you get into that crawl space and the water starts coming in, you know, it, it almost feels like it plays out in real time, you know, because that, that storm's getting worse mm -hmm. and, you know, the water levels keep rising. And I'm like, wow, I wonder, could that really flood in an hour? You know, <laughs> probably, right? I mean, but yeah, it seems like that whole action, all the action sequences play out in real time, which, you know, adds to the realism of what Kaya's character's going yeah. through, you know, and, and Barry, you know. And, and I love movies that take place in a very uh, small amount of time. I tension is one night. The Hills of Eyes is also like, I think, 24 hours. P2 is one night. Right. Those movies are great because they, they give you, even if you're within two hours, they give you like the opportunity of giving the audience the feeling that they are really going through the adventure for real the movie like crawl is super short but it gives you that i think a, a fair sense of spending that day with them in hell we did the special effects of all the gore all the uh you know what you see in the movie yeah it looks so good yeah. yes yeah yeah and then adrian moro is a canadian based uh, uh you know effect and makeup artist wow. really really great some of the best i mean like you know since KNB, I work with, uh, you know, Greg Nicotero for a very, very long time, but nice. now Greg is the walking dead <laughs> right. all the time, so. And and by the way, this, this movie has one of the best kills ever. Don't Vulcan give it away guy. now, don't yeah. give it away now. <laughs> <laughs> but we all, but we all, we all, we saw, we know. We know. Yeah. I'm just like, man. So what 
did you keep from crawl did you keep any props or any of the alligators or yeah there were no alligators so i, I <laughs> like you know the, like a head no, <laughs> maybe like, yes yeah like the the, the baby are waiting yes. for me in, in montreal <laughs> oh nice Aww. so i have to i have to get them back soon no i got all the costume Oh, like for awesome. each, uh, for each, like that's something I'm doing now in every movie. I'm like trying to keep like all the protagonists, uh, full outfits and main props with me. And I don't, you know, I go against the rules of the studio of like letting them take everything because what they do usually is they, they, because we never know if we need to reshoot, if we need to do something else or a sequel or, so they are keeping everything into kind of a, a you know, like a truck and, yeah. and, and, and they are stocking them somewhere. And after a while, when they see that the movie is over or with, you know, like there's nothing to do, they just open them and, and just all throw everything or sell it or like without telling the filmmakers usually. Wow. So, so you cannot find all the props after. So it, it is like a, a, a tricky thing. So now I'm like keeping everything I want from the beginning. That's smart. And Are I'm you going like to like display it all? Or have you thought about doing something like that, a home museum or something? In your no, I'm just stocking them for yeah. now. And just like, you know, I have like boxes with the, the, you know, all the previous movie. I have like, unfortunately movies where I don't have anything, but uh, you know, it's a, uh, it is better at least to keep them for now. And one day, you know, I hope like I have a place like this where I can start displaying them. A lot of stuff from piranhas actually floating around out there. Yeah. A lot of fish puppets and things. Yeah. That's like a Whoa. big collector item right now, like recently. Yeah, definitely. They must have just cracked open the storage bin on piranha because, yeah, all that stuff. I think someone's got an Eli Roth body somewhere, too. What yeah, there's the- a head. <laughs> yeah, there is an Eli Roth dead head. That's a- <laughs> oh, I wanted to talk about, you've got this really memorable kind of three-note swelling musical theme that kind yeah. of goes throughout. Talk a bit about the development of that theme so i it's like the you know i, I didn't have the opportunity but um we went through a roller coaster with the music and this on this one because we were walking with another composer and and there was something that didn't work so we had in the last last minute to change and 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 we went to a lawn ball with like a really good great uh, composer who introduced us to uh, you know two of his uh, colleague uh, max and stefan together they came with the wool score of the movie over you know like just a few weeks wow. oh, and then we were like it was crazy because i was freaking out because the music was so important for for this one and right. and they right away connected to the material they right away connected to the story they came with this three notes that are like the alligator notes i mean they did it i mean there is something interesting with the alligator it's like if you go to any uh pond or you know lake or whatever where there is alligators and you go as you go usually with your tuba like not the like the the instrument, yeah. And you and and you play a B flat, you will get all the alligator to react and and answer to you. Really? <laughs> yeah. <Hey. laughs> yes. The, the the B flat is the the chord that just get them going. Wow, I want to try that. So is that what is that what the, one of the notes is? is it yeah, yeah. So some B-flat? some some of the score is on B flat. Yeah, that is wow. so cool. Oh, that's really cool. <laughs> How is it like working with Kaya and Barry? Because you, I mean, obviously you're directing them. I really bought that she was a swimmer. She was very good in this role. She really sold the fear and everything that she had to do. All the obstacles under you know underneath the crawl space. We had to go from point A to point B and. Plan A, Plan B, and Plan B they didn't work out. You know, what were some of the challenges working with them? I mean, people underestimate how difficult it is for an actor to play without dialogue. 
you know, not all of them are, are good at that. For an actor to be able, for the type of movie to give you crossing a corridor, but someone who's going to just, oh, I'm going to just walk through. But another actor is going to give you something different on each step, you know, like, and you're going to see and look at her eyes and you're going to see everything that goes through her mind as she's like doing that step, realize that maybe she should have stayed there. Maybe then she keep going and then she look. I mean, there is so many things that you can think about and extend the time and make it interesting. I was really lucky. I started with amazing uh, actresses. I mean, my first feature film, Furia, was Marion Cotillard and then Cécile de France in High Tension. They had that power, the power of through their eyes just to take the audience by the end and let them know what was going through each step of the of the journey. And Kaya has the same type of uh, quality. You know, she has this, this eye, this determination, that kind of warrior uh, look. And, you know, like most of the directing actors is first casting. If you get the right person because they have it, because they understand it, because they have that skill, right. you work then is just on set to be next to them help them answer the question to for them to always know where they are in the story and what's happening to them. But also here to push them, try to do a, a few different things, but mostly it's, it's their, you know, it's their craft. And, and, and she, I mean, she didn't need a lot of help. She, she got it from the beginning. She knew it was going to be hard. And she told me, she said like, I, you know, I want my son to see this movie and realize how badass I was. and kudos to you because she's you know she's been in big franchise movies like Pirates of the Caribbean and uh, Maze Runner and she's gone on record recently I was reading that she said this was the most memorable, best experience that she's ever had working on a film. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah that was that was you know like when you go to war, you <laughs> you get strong memories. And, and, and when you swallow enough green water, yeah. it stays with you. you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and her vulnerability as well. The character's vulnerability. You just managed to tell such a huge story in such a small space. Yeah. It's, just, it's real magic. Growing up as a fan of. Sam Raimi, as I'm sure, yeah, you know, we all are. Yeah. He very much revolutionized horror cinema as it exists. I mean, he's a part of this adventure as producer. Talk about his involvement in the project and what your experience was like having him as a sounding board and to be able to work with him. I mean, it was a dream. I mean, Sam is definitely the uh, the producer that every director is dreaming to have. It's like someone who's so respectful and here to try to understand your vision and really spend time to understand your vision and then his role is really to help you defend your vision and 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 fight for it and he never at no point tried to impose his own you know he's an amazing filmmaker so he could say no like let's do it this way this is the best way right and and maybe you will be right <laughs> but he's you know he knows that as a producer he's here to to get the best of you and that's you know what he's doing so it was it was great i after high tension when we uh, we came to the us for the the first time we we had this amazing choice between going with wes craven and doing the hills of eyes or going with uh, sam remy and doing the messenger wow and and uh <laughs> you know it was a tough choice because sam and Wes were definitely like the most important figure in the in the genre for you know both of us, Greg and myself. And we were like 
really, you know, and then we went with the subject matter, like the movie that seems to be the, the most uh, interesting for us, that was The Hills of Eyes. But I wrote a little uh, note to, to Sam at the time saying, you know, I really hope that one day we'll find another one, you know, to walk together on. And it took a long time, <laughs> right. way longer than I was expecting. <laughs> and, you know, like I, I remember every time I was... Um, meeting with Greg Nicotero when we were working together on so many movies, I was, one of the first thing was, you know, like you check on the other director through Greg Nicotero, because before Greg became director and producer and, and The Walking Dead, he was like the, the hero makeup artist for all of us, the small one like me and the big one as well. <laughs> right. So, you know, you, you got a lot of stories and, 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 you know, like from, you know, like Sammy's doing this and this, I oh, have to meet him. You have to walk with him. It's so good. <laughs> so great. And, and yeah, oh, man. You know. Being a horror fan, is there a top five? movies that you love in your collection yeah i mean there is more than five yeah. obviously <laughs> the guilty pleasure one or the uh the one i will save are like very classic movies you know yeah. they're, they're like uh, alien joe's shining the exorcist the rosemary's baby take sessions of massacre i mean basically that's pretty yeah. much like what i will but then there is all the you know the other one that just got that like so uh nightmare on elm street is more like on the guilty pleasure side and but it's mm -hmm. like Without Nightmare on Elm Street, I will definitely not be here today. It's like yeah. one of the most uh, traumatic uh, experiences. <laughs> yes, that's uh, for sure. And you know, like it, there is so many, so many. We have to. I mean, it's an amazing time to make those movies right now. Like I remember when we we started doing uh, High Tension, we were doing it as a as an homage, as a tribute to all that cinema. In the same time, a lot of other people were doing just the same thing, like Eli Ross and Neil Marshall and and Rob Zombie, and and they were all like going back to making something that was uh, visceral, right. that was really scary and. And kind of like, okay, let's forget about the, the very disappointing 90s and, and let's go back to the roots. So we, we did it and the audience wanted to see that. It was great. Then we're like, oh, okay, it's going to stop and we're going to fall back into that kind of lame, uh, satirical kind of uh, slasher, you know, vibe from the 90s. But no, it didn't happen. In fact, we, you know, like people really, really want to be scared. We keep going and there is more and more amazing movies every year. I wanted to bring up something before we finish 2018. You stepped into the world of virtual reality mm -hmm. and you did that Campfire Creepers short and you got to work with Robert England. Yeah. What was your experience like working with VR and where do you think that fits into the future of the horror genre? You know, VR is um, is the the technology that every director dream about without it existing. It's kind of like a, oh, what if I could make a movie like you can actually leave and you just put it on your head and you're like like in Strange Days. <laughs> yeah, and, you, and 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 it is in theory this. Unfortunately, the technical aspect is not there yet, and and it was like a. a a spectacular experience for me. I did two short film um, with Oculus, one with Robert England and, and part of an anthology called Campfire Creepers. The concept of making some, uh, um, you know, like fictional VR in real footage and real stereo uh, was like the most exciting thing ever. But then you realize that like the real stereo, 360 stereo is very hard to achieve, right. even impossible. Like we shot 10 days, two short filming, like all together, they're like each of them is like 12 minutes. It's a year of post-production behind just to stitch all those camera together and create wow. that uh, 
and even the result is not that great because at the end you just see the screen of uh, of cell phone you know like magnified it's not there yet i mean it's the most engaging and the most immersive we're talking about immersion the most immersive thing that you can imagine but you know it, it will come i hope like in a in a few years but it's you know, it's not there yet. Right. So it's like at the red and blue 3D glasses uh, stage. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like the, 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 you did amazing, though. It looks the, amazing. The next step will be, I mean, yes, you know, but like I'm, I'm still waiting for the right headset that will let me see what I actually shot. Because everything we've, you can watch today is still like compress 100 times. Right. The resolution. Compared to is, what we had. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because that. It doesn't exist yet. It's just like the, you know, you cannot have a, until someone is going to make like a a, a screen the size of a cell phone that's like a 4K screen, like you will never... Right, right, right. That'd be cool if they do a crawl remix in VR. <laughs> that was, that was, you know, like, um, I, I, you know, I had like a, I went to Paramount very early on and I said, guys, I just did a VR, two VR pieces. And I can tell you, that crawl is the best thing to do a VR yep. a companion piece for the promotion of the movie. Yeah, yeah. We have the crawl space, we have the water, we have the CG alligator. We we could do the most scary, yeah. Like you in the water. I mean you could even do like an immersive thing where you actually do it in the pool. Yes. Where yeah. you put oh, your, your headset. They're doing that like, now, yeah, right? They're doing those in the malls yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And and yeah, and you know, they were not reactive or fast enough to react. Right. So we will do it for the next one though. There you go, when the Blu-ray comes yeah. out. <laughs> so, well, I will yeah, say this question. movie is amazing. It's fantastic. I wanted a great horror movie. I wanted to be scared. I wanted to be thrilled. And I'll tell you my phobias are drowning. And <laughs> yeah, so creepy things in the water that you yeah. can't see. So yeah. it really hit me hard. <laughs> For once, so, you know, the, the marketing that I'm hearing is go watch in the theater, go watch it with friends. And it's true. You got to do it. This is yeah. a movie to not miss. You got to see it in theaters. There is a reason why all movies or do so movies like uh, the last project that keep resisting or at least, you know, making a, a real decent uh, box office facing the you know the avengers and star wars and all those gigantic disney uh, movies it's because the immersion it's because like when you go there you leave something you leave something with your guts you you have like a real change i think that you can enjoy crawl on your own you know home but to see it on the big screen with the surround sound and a group of people that are like you kind yeah. of get stuck in the, <laughs> yeah. oh, man. It, it's, you know, it's a roller coaster. It's, it's the true thing. Yeah. I was like crawling in my seat. Literally. Yeah. Like, oh, oh God. Oh, come on. And I never once felt safe. Yeah. When I thought I felt safe, I'm like, nope. <laughs> like, great. That's so awesome. I'm even scared to go in the pool. I know, it makes right? Makes no sense. You will be extra Water. scared to go in the pool now. All right, crawls in theaters everywhere now. Go experience it, everyone. Alex, thank you so much for being thank here. You, yeah, thank you. Thank so you. Awesome. So awesome. Thank you so much. You need to go now. I'm not leaving you here. That was a Boot Crew Podcast, episode 56. Special thanks to our guest, Alex Aja. Crawl is in theaters everywhere now. If you like what you hear each week on the podcast, please rate and write us a quick review on Apple Podcasts. It helps the show continue to grow, and we appreciate it so much. Till next time, it's the Boot Crew saying, see you on the other side. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo. The 
Boo Crew is Tim Timebomb, Leone D'Antonio, Lauren and Trevor Shand, Austin Wilkin, and Rachel Tahada. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation. Bye.